And so what I've learned is that if you have a W-2, it's very easy for you to get a mortgage loans, right? And you can get up to 10 mortgage loans under your name. And so when somebody told me, it's like, I'm going to prove them. It's like, I'm going to get 10 loans under my name. And that's what I did. Welcome to the First Gen Mastery Podcast, where we empower first-generation immigrants to master the path to abundance and freedom through real estate investing. We are your hosts, Austin Wong and Aman Shahi. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of First Gen Mastery. In today's episode, we have Cristobal Jimenez Friego. I hope I didn't butcher that name. <laughs> Chris is a real estate investor who was able to quit his W-2 job three years ago. He is originally from Mexico. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you, Austin and Aman, for having me. Great pleasure. Welcome, Chris. Yeah, great to have you. So tell us a little bit about your story. How did you come to the U.S. and how did you get involved in real estate? Yes, this was back in 2007, right out of college. I was a year into, a year after I, I graduated from college. And funny story, I was not looking to come to the States. I was mm. just looking to go to Europe. But then uh, out of the blue, I, I started uploading my resume everywhere on, on online and I was getting rejected everywhere in Europe. And suddenly one day I just got a call. It was, it was a professional services company, a bar in, in, Cal in Northern California that they required like technical resources. And, and, and then they were looking for, for cheap labor and, and they called me. We, I interviewed, said yes. So my process took like 20 days from interview mm -hmm. to me being on the plane, one-way ticket to Sacramento. And mm -hmm. and that's how I started, like two suitcases and a few thousand bucks in my pocket. And I really got started in real estate in 2012. And that was mostly based out of necessity. And when you came to US for the first time, so what were the issues you had to face at that point? Because, you know, oh. when... <laughs> you understand yeah, the question. The main issue to me was cost of living, right? Oh. So you are in, in California. So you know how expensive California is, right? So when I, I moved, there. my income was $30,000 a year, which means I live in poverty for about two years, right? In poverty based on California standards. Uh, I was barely able to uh, pay my rent and my, my main living expenses. I Pretty much my apartment was empty. I, I slept on the floor. For probably about three years, I I only had like a blanket, a pillow, most mostly, and then uh, one one set one like one pot, one pan, and one set of silverware, and 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 like one glass and one cup and stuff, and that was the only stuff I was able to afford at the time. Those were the good old days. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> I had to walk five miles every every weekend to Walmart just to get my groceries because I didn't have a car. So I could, and then the, the closest Walmart was around five miles walking distance. Even you can't even afford, uh, like sometimes bus bus fare. Like you can't even afford it, and you have to wait an hour or so just to wait for the bus. Yes, and and then as you guys know, like when you are new to the states. You don't have credit history. Yeah. So I was going to the dealerships to try to buy a car. And when they ran my credit, they told me, oh, you don't qualify. You don't qualify. And long story short, they told me, you need to get a cosigner. It's like, listen, mm. I'm here by myself. I don't know anybody else. I'm literally 
the first generation from my family to move to the States. So I don't have anyone to support me. And I had to go through that struggle for maybe a year and a half before I was mm -hmm. able to buy a car, which the only reason why I was able to buy a car was because I met someone a while ago when I was in college in Mexico. And then I ended up connecting with him. He moved to the States. He was in San Jose, California. I visited him over the weekend and he took me to a dealership. And then after he, the, uh, the ownership of the, uh, the owner of the dealership, by my credit, he told me, listen, the only way you're going to get a car is with a co-signer. Mm. And he got my friend and myself in the office and he's like, listen, will you co-sign for him? And, and then the only reason why he did was because he knew me from Mexico. And I'm, I'm completely grateful for, for him. Otherwise I wouldn't be able to buy a car. Well, I wouldn't be able to actually get a car. And I remember it was a 1996 Honda Civic with 150 <laughs> thousand miles stick <laughs> oh wow you mentioned something that kind of caught my attention you said that the reason that you got into real estate was because it was out of necessity can you explain what you mean yes so in 2000 so i got married in 2009 and mm -hmm. and then i i had i had a plan right i told you guys i wanted to move to europe so i got a visa to actually move to the uk and that visa will allow me to work or start my own business and I didn't require sponsorship. However, my wife told me when I was getting ready to pull the trigger and move to the UK, she told me that she didn't want to go because it was too far away from home, which home to us was Mexico. So I had to rewire and say, okay, I need to, I need to find a way to make the US my home, right? And the, the immigration attorney said, well, the only option is an amnesty or a company sponsorship. Mm -hmm. So my only option was a company sponsorship. So at that point, I was just looking for a company to sponsor my green card, right? And I found a company in Texas that was looking to do that. And like I bought my I bought a house in the crash in California. So when we were moving to Texas, which this company was in Texas, I couldn't sell my house because I bought the house and then the price kept dipping and I was going to be selling for a loss. So I became a landlord for necessity, right? Mm. The landlord uh. paid, I mean, the, the renter pay my mortgage payment. I was breaking even, I wasn't making a dime and we moved to Texas and then we only live in Texas at that time for 11 months, but then we bought a house. I bought a house. I renovated the house. And we only live in that house for two months before we move back to California. So that other house eventually became a rental house. And then we went back to our home in Sacramento. And that's mm -hmm. when we'll start to get like, oh, uh, how do I, how do I actually do, how can I repeat this process? Right. Because the house in Texas was indeed, um, it was giving like, a, I was giving us maybe $150 in cash flow after all expenses were paid. And, um, so when you bought the, the your second house in Texas, where was that house? Like how much did you pay and how much were you making when you rented it out? So the house in Texas, I think I bought it for, it was going to be a primary residence. So I bought it with an FHA loan. So my house mm -hmm. in California, I had an FHA loan, right? So you can get a second FHA loan if you get relocation based at a job and then you want to buy your primary residence, right? Mm -hmm. You can qualify for a second FHA. So my house in Texas was also an FHA loan. Mm -hmm. And I believe I bought the house for like 120 thousand i believe wow. and and i was 
<sighs> and then I think I rented the house. I think my mortgage payment was like fifteen hundred or twelve hundred bucks, and then we rented a house for eighteen hundred. Wow. So after taxes and insurance and everything, uh, the agent was managing the property. I re my real estate agent was managing the property for us, and she was not charging any management fees mm. because she knew that when we were uh, going to sell, she was going to represent us on the sale of the house, right? So, mm. and then towards that, then yeah, we were like cash flowing around. I would say between 150 and 250 because we also had to pay HOA. So that house was not meant to be rented. That was to be a primary residence. So I didn't account for all that stuff. But then when I did the quick math, again, because we couldn't sell, right? I just spent a few thousand dollars renovating the house. like, And it's like, I'm, I'm not getting my money back in two months or three months after I purchased the house. So we ended up renting for a couple of years that house before we sold it. And we sold when we sold it, how prices were appreciated in Texas. So I literally double my money when I sold that house. You mentioned that you purchased the house with FHA loan. Can you explain what that is? And you also mentioned about the first and the second loan. How, how does all that work? Yes. So in California, so my first investment was 12500 12, That was because with an FHA, you only need to put down 3.5% down payment, right? And I couldn't afford 5% to go conventional. So my only option to really get into home ownership was an FHA loan. And and that got us into our, our house in California, right? And 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 it was it was difficult because when I bought that house, I told the uh, loan officer how much I wanted to pay for for my mortgage, right? But then they they told me, oh yeah, no problem. But then for them was only principal and interest. They never compounded the escrow, right? So mm -hmm. when they added the escrow into my mortgage payment, I was almost like, I was spending over, I would say, 50% of my income just to cover the mortgage payment. Wow. And so I was struggling with that one. So moving to Texas was literally a blessing because somebody else was paying for that mortgage for over a year. And that helped me because as I gained more experience in my job, I was able to move back to California with a higher income. And then I was able to afford that house at that point. And yes. then, and so I didn't know I, you could get two different FHA loans, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you get FHA, it's only one loan, it's only for your primary residence. But then when we were looking, we were hunting for a house because uh, I, I didn't like to rent so after six months of renting i was itching to buy a house and and then when i spoke to the bank they told me oh yeah because you just relocated due to a job you can qualify for a second fha loan because it's completely different states you still keep ownership of your of, of your former primary residence in california and so now in texas you can qualify for that one and then because the price was lower maybe we were like Five or seven thousand dollars down payment as a mm -hmm. three point five interest, uh, three point five uh, percent uh, down payment. So it was really affordable, and that's why we pulled the trigger. But then, funny story too. I was in the middle of escrow, and and the bank told me, "Oh, we made a mistake on your numbers, so you don't qualify for the loan." And so my agent literally went with this mortgage broker, and she told me, "Like, if she's not able to qualify you, nobody will." And I, we started the loan process all over again, and we literally closed an FHA loan, which traditionally used to take like 45 days. We closed that loan in 10 days. And then we didn't fill out our escrow, and then we got the keys, and then the rest is mostly history now. I think I want to do a quick recap on that story. That's a beautiful way to get started in real estate investing. You, you mentioned that you only put, for the first house, put 12500 down for your down payment? Yes. That's an incredibly mm -hmm. low number for 
a housing you, you mentioned in California, right? Yes. And yeah, and I think you also mentioned the pros and cons. Especially in Sacramento. Right now, the same house would be like seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars in Sacramento. Yeah, that's the median home price where we where where we were living. Yeah, the median home price right now is around seven fifty to eight fifty. And yeah. where are you in real estate today? Are you still focused on residentials, or are you going to commercial? Where are you at? Oh yeah, I I, I don't think I'll ever go back go away from residential. Right, mm -hmm. residential is right now is like. I, I learned a lot about residential, right? So that was so when I moved back from 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 Texas back to Sacramento, I was like, how do I get more cash to start buying these rental houses, right? Mm -hmm. And I was so ignorant. I was buying rental houses in California, right? So I was doing twenty twenty percent down payment, which were anywhere from forty to sixty thousand dollars in as a down payment. But then I was not afraid to even sell my primary residence, right? Because that twelve hundred five thousand mm -hmm. five years later became a six figure check for me. Yeah. And and so I sold that house. I bought myself another house and the rest of the the, uh, the money left the leftover cash was deploying to buy more real estate in California. And that's really how I got started. That's the beauty of FHA loan. You can buy with smaller amount and you can get the appreciation for the whole house for like five or six years, and you can make six figures of your profit. Yes, and I would also, and I was ignorant because I, I, I instead of selling, like with the, all the knowledge that I have right now, I would have gotten a HELOC instead of mm. selling just to tap, tap that yeah. equity. Because to me, I was, I was like, man, I know I have a, at least one hundred thousand dollars of equity in this house that I'm not able to touch. Mm. How do I tap into that? And I was ignorant, and I talked to my agent, and the only reason, the only option, my agent gave me was sell the house mm. if, she, if if my agent would have told me get a HELOC I, I would have gotten a HELOC to tap into that equity right but then yeah. it was in the agent's best interest to sell yeah. a house because that was they were making a commission that way right I, I, I trusted him blindfolded and I did sell the house I, I don't regret it right because it was a lesson learned and and then I just moved on and because that was not your best interest trusting the agent blindly is a mistake that everyone especially I think I've also made, so I can really resonate with and, that. And um, you mentioned something about HELOC. You won't believe there are so many people who don't know what the what HELOC is. Can you explain a bit about HELOC? Yes, a HELOC is a home equity line of credit. So mm -hmm. when you have a lot of equity in your property, you can get, in essence, what's a second mortgage. Mm -hmm. And the way that works, it works like a line of credit. As long as it's on your primary residence, it's very easy for you to get that on your primary residence. When you have rental property, it's way more difficult to accomplish that, but then very easy to do on your primary residence. And that's like a line of credit, right? Like These HELOCs, they could be... Uh, they can tap into a second mortgage for like 25 years, right? And then mm -hmm. the... the Whatever you grab from that HELOC is, is what you pay on interest, so which is very interesting. And, and, and so that's an option for you to tap into the equity, like, right, that, that you have in your residence that, that, can, that you can use that cash to invest in, in real estate. And then the cash flow that that property will give you will actually pay the HELOC for you. Let me add something to that. You can only take HELOC up to 90% of the value of the house. Yes. Yes. And there's like there's two type of HELOCs too. So hmm. uh, I I don't remember the 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 options right now. But then there's two type of HELOCs mm -hmm. too. 
like based on liens and based on other stuff. Like you can get a, a first first lien HELOC, believe it or not, and and that's like a mind blowing but mind blowing uh, strategy to also mm. pay pay up your house faster. But it's also like if you like to yeah. take risks, then you can take a first lien HELOC, and then all your income goes into the HELOC, and you literally leave off of the HELOC, and then you can pay up your residence in five years. And you can also buy Camaro with that, but you should not buy Camaro with that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Don't buy cars. Like the worst investment ever is actually a car. Yeah. So Austin, what, what you have? And what type of in real estate investments are you focusing on right now? Right now, uh, I'm... I'm I'm still focusing on single families, right? It's like, it's so easy um, um, to, to do. I'm, I'm, do, I'm doing right now uh, remote flipping, right? Or remote mm -hmm. BRRR, if you will. So that's, I would say I'm never going to stop doing that as long as there's there's deal flow and stuff. Like I, I got a team already created. So mm -hmm. I'm going to keep doing that. And, and then now my, my focus really is into commercial real estate. You said you have a team for virtual flipping. Yes, remote remote flipping. Yeah. Mm. So how did you create that team? Like, how did you find the right people? It was through mostly the, the experience that I gained with my previous properties, right? Mm -hmm. So my main focus initially was property manager. The property manager to me is the most important uh, team member I can actually get. And then once I get that one, I was looking for the contractor. So once I get the uh, reliable contractor, then my third team member, it's a real estate agent, which is going to give me deal flow. And and so now with that, I have a, I have like, two agents right now providing me deal flow. Um, and then I flew to the, so I, I started buying in, in out of state a couple of years ago and I bought out of paper. I don't know if you guys done this before. I, I bought side and scene, right? All my rental property, bought side and scene, never been on those states. And I just mm -hmm. literally bought the, the, uh, the properties based out of the analytics, right? The underwriting, if you will. Mm -hmm. And properties were cash flowing, perfect. And then I closed on those properties, never been to the property, never seen the property. Uh, and it was all around trust with the team, right? So I got, also, I, I have in this state, it actually, um, we close with attorney. So I have an attorney too. And, and then the, I started making relationships, right? And then one of the relationships that I was making was with the owners of the property management company. And through them, I was able to get this reliable, reliable resources, right? Contractors, real estate agents. And, and then that really opened, opened the door for me to start doing remote, remote flipping. Like, um, as we speak right now, I have three offers out. The contractors walk, walk the property, walk one property today, a couple of like another property last week. And, and then I'm just waiting to get some feedback before I put one on the contract and I'm waiting to, to get from the listing agent on the other one. And then on the third one, the agent is negotiating with, with the sellers that, that, or is convincing the seller to sell the property to me. Can you explain a little bit? with an example of how you do uh, virtual burr and what are the number like from a deal like that yes so like i said to me it's like 
I just go online and, and I, I, fire, I, I, I talk to the agents, right? And I tell them my criteria. This is what I'm looking to do. I want to buy 70 to 60 cents on the dollar. And these are the side properties that I want to buy. And I did a um, zip code analysis, right? So I mm-hmm. actually uh, decided on which zip codes I wanted to invest which to me, or based on my criteria, those are the ones that will give me most of the cash flow. And also my buying power will be between like ARV after repair value will be anywhere from 90 to 150,000. And and so with that in mind, I reached out to the agents and, and just doing follow-ups, right? It's like uh, my first was a call call with the agent. I told them what my criteria was and they were interested. Great. I gave them my contact information. They sent me an email and every once in a while, like well, at least once a month, I just email them, hey, do you have anything I, I need to look after? And and then suddenly it's like, I just got a few a few emails like, we got this property. What do you think? And then I did the quick numbers. I checked my mm-hmm. property managers, right? So right now my property manager validates rents. So I know I will, I, they, they will be in charge of the property, right? So they, they will give me an accurate description of the rents. I, I know the, the, the location. And then the agent checks for me that's not in a flood zone. And, and then they give me a quick ARV value of the property so I can make my analysis. I know property, uh, I know the property taxes. Uh, I get, I get the quote from the insurance pretty quickly so I can run the numbers really quickly and then mm-hmm. be able to make, make, make offers. So for, I can give an example right now. There was an REO property, which is a bank owned property that uh, the agent uh, shared with me last week. I analyzed the property. I talked to my contractor. I made an appointment between my agent and my contractor for him to walk the property. He gives me a repair estimate, like how much is going to cost me to fix the property. I asked the agent for after repair value comps. And so this property, it's about right now, it was listed for 50000 I made an offer for forty-five thousand. The air it requires around thirty-five thousand dollars in repairs, and the ARV value of this property is one hundred and fifty-nine thousand. And this property could be rented between twelve hundred and thirteen hundred dollars a month. What are your market? And is this off-market deals or on MLS? No, the MLS. Everything is on the MLS. <laughs> and what are your markets? Right now, it's uh, I, I'm looking at the Midwest, right? Ohio, you get Ohio. I get Indianapolis. I get I get Kentucky. Uh, most likely, that's my, my 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 three markets, and that I'm that I'm actually working on right now. And how do you pick those markets, and what are your criteria? Based on based on jobs, right? So mm-hmm. I, I look at the demographics. I look at how many people are moving into the state. How many people are leaving the state? How many mm-hmm. jobs are out there? How many companies? How, what are the big companies, uh, the big employers for each mm-hmm. state, right? Because I don't want to have like, I don't want to be like in Detroit, for example, which where they were only like cars related jobs. So I look for job diversity. And if that works, then mm-hmm. uh, I would invest. And how did you learn about flipping? Did you join any mastermind groups or how, how yes. did you learn about that? So when I moved back from Texas to California, like I told mm-hmm. you, right, I sold my house, I bought my next house and I bought rental property. And the question to me was like, how do I repeat the process? Right. Mm-hmm. It's like my job is, is going to take me a lot of time before I can get another 60 to $80,000 as a down payment. So how do I accelerate that process? And I didn't know anything about flipping. 
and I ended up getting a, a like a class mm-hmm. from a company that was offering to teach you how to how to do flips. Uh, and I joined their 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 class, and and that was really my first investment into personal development for myself. And through that investment, that actually got me to distress because it was real expensive, <laughs> and I got a lot of credit card debt, and I didn't have the funds to invest them to to generate marketing to try to to attract this the sellers. So. I ended up being creative, right? I, I ended up walking into open houses, talking to agents up until the point where an agent was investor friendly and he sent me a deal. It was a pre-foreclosure. I made the numbers. Believe it or not, I raised the money out of Facebook from mm. a complete complete stranger. She she financed 100% of the acquisition, well, 90% of the acquisition and 100% of the renovation costs. And my skin in the game was 10%. Mm. And when I flipped the house and I put it on the market, it didn't sell. And, and so the buyer that was going to buy the property for me, like when, when the day when we were signing documents, the bank didn't release the uh, last loan approval. And I didn't want my interest was fifteen hundred dollars a month for mm. for that for that lender, right? It's like, and it was draining me. I I made a commitment to make uh, monthly interest payments. So after a couple months of holding time, the agent didn't have an interest on on that financial interest, so he didn't care much about that. And then it was on the lower lower price point for him, so he was mostly focusing on on showing clients. Uh, higher value properties, and I ended up making the numbers again, and and then I refinanced the property out, and I kept it as a rental. And so, a few years later, that term became the BRRR. But then I really started doing that in 2014 without even knowing that was a, that was something called BRRR that what we know that now. Number. That is such a cool story to break into the real estate game, like the fact that you started with FHA and then you. Spend your money in a mastermind. Invest in your own education and got super creative getting started in real estate in Burr. And this is way back when Burr become, I guess, popular as under mainstream attention. This is just a, such a cool story. I just want to make that simple comment. Thanks to Bigger <laughs> Pockets, they are the one who made that famous. Yes, yeah, David David Green. So at yeah. least I learned that term from from David Green from Bigger Pockets. But then I didn't know anything about Bigger Pockets until like 2018 or 19, actually. I was an ignorant still, and mm-hmm. and, and then I, I kept growing my portfolio. Right, it's like I I, I realized, like, dude, like, what are you investing in California? And mm-hmm. and that's when the out of state became a possibility. And so I liquidated all my assets, and the ten thirty one exchanges to move them out of state. When you were going out of state to invest, and can you share with us a little bit about that ten thirty one exchange process? Yes, so the 1031 exchange it's it, it's it's an option that you have to defer taxes of the, the capital gain taxes on investment property. And mm-hmm. and then you have you, you can buy um like the same like the same value or more like and different different options like you can get into commercial real estate, you can get into land, you can get different options, right? So what I learned is like the 1031 exchange accommodator well, value the property, right? Let's say I, my my property. I think I sold that for oh shoot, I, I don't recall. But then let's put numbers. Like let's say one fifty, right? And mm-hmm. I had a mortgage on the property, so my mm-hmm. mortgage was for 
let's say 90,000, right? 90, and, and so when you do the 1031, you need to you need to get the value of the total value of your acquisitions needs to be at least 250. And they don't care that you have a mortgage, right? So whatever money is left over, what you invest needs to be at least 250 or more to be able to qualify for that 1031 exchange. Mm -hmm. So I ended up using the 95% rule, different different uh, options for you to deploy that money. But then also when you close escrow, this money goes into the, uh, the accommodator, that neutral party. And then you have mm -hmm. 45 days to identify your replacement properties, right? So mm -hmm. they gave me a, a spreadsheet and I filled out addresses of properties out of state, right? I was Kansas City. I was Oklahoma. I was everywhere. I was literally just going everywhere. And I gave them a list of like 15 properties. Mm -hmm. And so when you have day 46, then you cannot add any more properties into that list. And you can, you only have to close on those properties that you have on your list and you have 180 days to close on these properties. So if that makes sense, is there any a number of limit that you can identify the properties or is it just like maximum is 15 or five or something, or you can do as so much to as me, you want. It was like going from that and then using the proceeds to get more loans to mm -hmm. actually buy more property. We also, so I had, I had a W2 at the time, right? I was working a W2. Mm -hmm. And so what I've learned is that if you have a W2, it's very easy for you to get a mortgage loans, right? And you can get up to 10 mortgage loans under your name. And mm -hmm. so when somebody told me, it's like, I'm going to prove them. It's like, I'm going to get 10 loans under my name. And that's what I did. I literally got 10 loans. And then now I know I, you can get sometimes up to 15 loans in there, your name, but then you have to get into very specific lenders and they will actually lend you up to like 15, 15 loans on their one individual's name. Great, great. That was a whole lot of information. We hit on so many good topics for starters to get started. We started with FHA and then to the birth strategy and now to 31, 1031 Exchange. What a great episode so far. Thank you. <laughs> so can you tell us um, what are some of the resources that have helped you learning all of these? Is there a book recommendation, a program recommendation, even um, um, anything like that? Yeah. Yeah, from, from books, uh, I would say anything from bigger pockets, right? David Greeny with like um, BRRR or like remote, remote uh, flipping. I, don't, I remember the, the topic of the book, but then there's many. And so something that I had to learn through down the road was it was not not related to real estate, but then mostly related to my finances. Mm. Like, because handling your finance. So something that I did, I was making mistakes, right? So I have not all these properties, right? And they're giving me cash flow. And so now I have 20% down on each. And it's like, you know what? I'm just not going to pay. I, I don't want to have escrow. I'll pay the, the insurance and property taxes myself. Well, I made a lot of mistakes where I never saved that money. And when it was tax time or just renewed insurance, I was always in trouble. And, and so I learned that I was not disciplined with my income. I didn't know how much money was coming in and how much money was going out. And so I had to step back, push the brakes and understand my spending habits. And so I was able to literally get to the dime how much money was coming in every month and how much money was going out every month. And then I started creating buckets because I don't know if it happens to you guys, but then if I see an account full with cash in the bank, 
in my head is like, oh, I got I, I got money to spend, and I start yeah. spending like crazy. So in order for me to avoid that, I have to create compartments, and those compartments were bank accounts. So I have different bank accounts for each category, right? So I have one that's escrow, I have one that's investment, I have one that's taxes, I have, I have one that's uh, capex. I have so I have I have a, a bunch of uh, uh, accounts right now, and I, and I have one that's opex. So all my all my expenses go into into that, and and so that book actually I have it right here. Um, it's uh, the millionaire mindset from mm. the millionaire mind. I'm sorry, from uh, D. Harb Ecker. That book really actually made me understand my money habits, and then from that, it's like I created that discipline, and and then it's been a game changer for me. Great, great. And um, before this wrap this up, if somebody wants to reach out to you, where can they reach out to you and learn more about you and connect with you? Oh, absolutely. So if, if they want to reach out to me, they can they can email me at invest at khg-inc.com. That's my email address. Mm-hmm. Or uh, they can look me up on on LinkedIn. Uh, it's my profile. It's my full name, Cristobal Jimenez Priego. And, and then we can connect online. Thank you. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much, Cristobal. This is a very amazing episode full of new information. No, thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. And All right. See you guys in the next we'll see one. See you later. That's it for this episode of First Gen Mastery. Tune in next week for more insights, inspirations, and actionable tips to help you master your path to abundance and freedom. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.